Cass Sunstein is a Harvard professor who also happens to be the most frequently cited legal scholar in America by a wide margin. I first learned about him in 2008 through his best-selling book, Nudge. Anybody remember Nudge? That's for a few of you. Uh, which he co-authored with Richard Thaler, who recently won the Nobel Prize for Economics. It's a fascinating study of how we could tweak the systems in our world to, you guessed it, nudge people to being set up to be more likely to make good decisions. I bring up Sunstein because last year I was delighted to see this world-class scholar make a fun and serious foray into pop culture with his book, The World According to Star Wars. Reading that book, coupled with this weekend's uh, theatrical release of The Last Jedi, which I haven't seen, so no worries about spoilers, uh, inspired me to reflect some about the influence of Star Wars on our culture generally, as well as religion in particular. I should also note that a few weeks ago, Sunstein published his most recent book, which is titled Impeachment, A Citizen's Guide. (laughs) And I invite you to consider that these two books, The World According to Star Wars and Impeachment, A Citizen's Guide, may have more in common than one might initially assume. Keep that connection in mind. We'll come back to it. Now, I don't presume that all of you are Star Wars fanatics. Indeed, Sunstein is married to the equally impressive uh, Samantha Power, who's also a Harvard professor as well as a former U.S. ambassador to the United Nations. She won a Pulitzer Prize back in 2003 for her powerful book, A Problem from Hell, America in the Age of Genocide. But sometime during the writing process of Sunstein's Star Wars book, she confessed to him, you know, Cass... I just don't love Star Wars. So if you don't love Star Wars, you are in good company. But for those, and for those not overly familiar with Star Wars, I promise not to geek out too much, but it's also clear that Star Wars is not some obscure cult classic. Ever since the immense success of the first film back in 1977, it has been a global phenomenon to the tune of more than $30 billion and rising steadily, especially now that Disney owns the franchise and has a new movie in the pipeline probably every year um, for the foreseeable future until it stops making billions of dollars. And I invite you to consider that those billions of dollars that we human beings have spent on Star Wars, that it's actually not just about entertainment. I don't think it's going too far to say, and Ben gave some credence to this earlier, that for many Star Wars fans, there might be something religious going on. And when I use that word religious, part of what I mean is it's tapping into something mysterious and awe-inspiring, something that binds us together. That's what religions do. Something that operates on the level of our ultimate concern, something that speaks to humanity's ongoing experiences with the anomalous, the powerful, the really, really weird stuff that doesn't always fit in and make sense. Something set apart and holy for the initiated among us. That's why Jar Jar Binks and midichlorians and Greedo shooting first felt like such a heretical betrayal. For the uninitiated, that's about as insider baseball as I'm going to get this morning. And this religious effect, it's not accidental. Star Wars director George Lucas intentionally structured his saga around what psychologist Carl Jung called 
archetypes, ideas, patterns, and images that seem fairly universally resonant with the human condition on both the conscious and unconscious level. In particular, Lucas was influenced by Joseph Campbell's work on comparative mythology and comparative religion, especially his 1949 book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, which is about the archetypal hero's journey. And now sure, there are ways in which Campbell's book is overly popularized and simplistic, but there are also ways that both Campbell and Lucas employ archetypes to tap deeply into the core existential questions of what it means to be human, of the human condition. So for many of us, as we watch Star Wars, we can feel those universal questions being triggered and explored. Things like, who am I? Have I fulfilled my potential? And if I haven't, is it perhaps not too late? The mythic resonance begins with the film's opening lines, a long time ago in a land far, far away. Sounds a lot like the beginning to a classic fairy tale or to a classic archetypal myth. An intersecting cross-cultural mythology is woven throughout the saga to give you a few among many possible examples of the prominent strands. There are strong Christian themes woven in, parallels to the life of Jesus, motifs of sacrifice, love, and redemption, major figures dying only to be resurrected in new forms. As Obi-Wan tells Darth Vader, if you strike me down, I will become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. There are equally strong Buddhist and Taoist themes. Yoda cautions that fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, and hate leads to suffering. Obi-Wan's spectral urging to Luke to let go, to let go of his conscious, thinking, calculating mind, to engage his feelings, his intuition, to use the force. And Yoda's response to how Luke can discern the good side of the force from the bad. He says, you will know it when you are calm, at peace, passive. Sounds like something meditation might be able to help with. The films are also strongly Freudian and Jungian. Most obviously, when Luke is challenged to enter a dark cave, a clear parallel for going within ourselves to explore our repressed, unconscious shadow side. And Luke is shocked to stumble upon a vision of his nemesis, Darth Vader. Luke kills him only to horrifyingly find his own face beneath Vader's mask. There are deep Oedipal echoes here. I hope I'm not spoiling anything. I don't actually care to say that Vader is, of course, Luke's father. At this point, I'm sorry, you're over the statute of limitations. Uh, there are deep edible echoes in Freudian terms at the archetypal level. Growing up becomes, means becoming increasingly conscious of this tendency to want to kill your father and marry your mother, right? Or, some, uh, or to mix that around depending on your gender and orientation. Now, I've been told that Lucas denies that the name Darth Vader is a play on Dark Father. I don't believe him. Uh, father, of course, from the, the German Vater, V-A-D-E-R, so it seems fairly clear that Darth Vader is Dark Father. Uh, I just don't believe it's a coincidence. Maybe Lucas was honestly not aware consciously of the connection, but on the unconscious archetypal level, the connection seems undeniable, especially since Lucas has a, had a famously conflicted relationship with his own father, who was devastated when Lucas um, discovered that, oh, wait, you can go to college to make films? I'm going to do that, instead of doing what his father wanted, which was to go into the family stationery business. 
Once you're aware of that detail, it's even more abundantly clear that so many aspects of the Star Wars films was Lucas working out his father issues on screen. There's so much more I'd like to tell you about the many fascinating stories behind how Star Wars was created, but I want to make sure to more fully address the religious angle. In the original trilogy, the protagonist, Luke Skywalker, is this disaffected farm boy from a seemingly boring desert planet. But everything changes when he encounters a wisdom teacher named Obi-Wan Kenobi, who begins to open his mind to the possibility of mysteries beyond what can be measured by rational science alone, as powerful as those tools can be. Obi-Wan tells Luke about the Force. He says that the Force is what gives a Jedi his powers. It's an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us, penetrates us, and it binds the galaxy together. That does sound a little bit like our UU seventh principle of the interdependent web of all existence or what Buddhists call a dependent co-arising. But no one's saying that you can, well, somebody's probably saying it, but they're wrong, right? No one's saying that you can become a Jedi and have real life powers just like the special effects on screen, right? But there are parallels between aspects of the force and what is known as qi in Chinese religion, uh, prana in the Hindu tradition, ruach in Judaism, pneuma in ancient Greek religion, spiritus or spirit in the Christian tradition. In the words of Jedi Master Yoda, there's a sense in which luminous beings are we, not, this, not merely this crude matter. You must feel the force around you here, between you and me, the tree, the rock, everywhere. And even if we can't actually become blue, glowing force ghosts, there is a level on which we are less isolated individuals and more caught up in some sort of interdependent web. For the humanist among us, in Dr. King's words, we are tied together in a single garment of destiny, Caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. And for some strange reason, MLK continued, I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. And you can never fully be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. Of course, not everyone is convinced. Harrison Ford's character in the film is an infamous skeptic about the Force, saying, I've flown from one side of the galaxy to the other. I've seen a lot of strange stuff, but I've never seen anything to make me believe there's one all-powerful force controlling everything. There's no mystical energy field controlling my destiny. It's just a lot of simple tricks and nonsense. It's no coincidence, of course, that Ford's character is named Han Solo, because he believes he is a solo, isolated individual with no uh, mystical connection to others. But in that uncanny way that life sometimes imitates art, there's a great story of the way that Ford was cast to play this skeptical solo character. Lucas had vowed not to cast anyone from his previous film, American Graffiti, which of course included Harrison Ford. But totally separate from the Star Wars casting process, Ford had been hired to do some carpentry work at the film 20th Century Fox. He wasn't a big movie star back then. He was a, his day job was being a carpenter. And Lucas just happened to see him during the audition process, and he ended up being cast. So was that just a coincidence, or was there something more at play, what Jung called a meaningful coincidence, a synchronicity? 
And although the 1960s counterculture had already been a major force in introducing Eastern traditions to the West, the Star Wars films were another major catalyst in raising interest about mysticism, about paying attention to one's personal spiritual experiences. And to the generations who have grown up watching these films over and over, it would be difficult to overestimate the influence of Star Wars on many people's worldview. Indeed, in a 2001 official government census, people listing their religion as Jedi included 70,000 Australians, 53,000 New Zealanders, around 1.5% of the population, um, 405,000 people in uh, the United Kingdom, that's almost half a million, and 20,000 in Canada. In the spirit of full disclosure, there was an email campaign urging people to make that happen. And in, 20, in 2006, when there wasn't an email campaign, the uh, self-reporting Jedi adherents did drop in, 20, in 2006. But there are other examples I could give here in the United States. The Temple of the Jedi Order in Texas is registered as an official nonprofit organization and has promulgated a code of the 16 teachings of the Jedi. Of course, one could object. Jediism isn't real. It's an invented religion. Well, I'll let you in on an open secret. (laughs) They're all invented religions. (laughs) And it would take another sermon and a rabbit trail. I don't have to go down this. I don't have time to go down this morning to justify all of what I mean by that. Uh, But in the case of Star Wars, adherents of Jediism are not, I don't think, espousing literal belief in the obviously fictional. events and characters on screen. Rather, the appeal lies primarily in adherence to the ideals being espoused, about honor, about standing up and resisting evil, about an openness to spirituality, energy work, uh, empathy, intuition, and more. I've also not forgotten to get back to what I said earlier about the potential connection between uh, Cass Sunstein's two recent books, The World According to Star Wars and Impeachment, A Citizen's Guide. The original title of the first Star Wars film was A New Hope, something this country desperately needed in 1977. Oil prices were through the roof. Only a few years earlier, Richard Nixon had resigned the presidency in disgrace. Evidence emerged that the Nixon administration was willing, eager actually, to punish political adversaries adversaries by abusing the tax system, uh, to create an enemies list, to bribe and threaten, even to wiretap their rival political party. This realization forced us as a country to look into the mirror and to further see our own capacity for evil, not unlike Luke's experience in the cave of seeing his own face behind Vader's mask, the mask of his greatest enemy. As a country, we were desperate for new hope in the late 70s. One of our foundational myths as a nation is of ourselves in some sense as a rebel alliance, a ragtag group of colonies coming together to fight the evil British Empire uh, in the Revolutionary War. But Nixon and Vietnam and other related factors were challenging us to reflect on the ways that, you know, we might have some evil galactic empire in us as well. And this is another instance where Star Wars laid some fascinating seeds that have always been waiting to come to fruition. From the Nazi-like uniforms of the Imperial forces to literally using the term stormtroopers, right, which were used for German soldiers, uh, 
The symbolism of the films is really quite clear that the empire represents fascism, totalitarianism, and dictatorship, and that the rebel alliance is this coalition of all those who oppose the rising tides of authoritarianism. Moreover, the Jedi Knights are explicitly called the guardians of peace and justice in the galaxies. So the clear implication is that any true Star Wars fan is on the side of rebelling against authoritarianism, on the side of acting for peace and justice. Altogether, that sounds a whole lot like our mission statement here at UUCF, to encourage spiritual growth, to build a diverse, beloved community, not a bunch of stormtroopers who all look alike and just obey orders, right, to act for peace and justice. Indeed, playing on the mythos of Star Wars, the UU activist Chris Crass has said, may we not be the unconscious stormtroopers of death culture, helping imperial forces to perpetuate systems of oppression like racism, sexism, homophobia, ableism, and others. Our calling is to always be looking for the places that we can join the rebel alliance, to join with all those forces working in coalition for collective liberation, for economic, racial, and gender justice, not only for some, but for all. And like Jediism, of course, there are ways in which Unitarianism, universe, Unitarian Universalism is, of course, also an invented religion. Invented precisely with the intention of drawing wisdom from all the world's religions, letting go of what has become obsolete, and adding in the insights of modern science. There is a power in that paradigm shift of moving from a religion based on authority, what other tell, tells you you're supposed to believe or you should believe, moving from that to a religion based on reason and what you know to be true because you've experienced it firsthand for yourself. As Luke said after one of his first experiments with the force, you know, I did feel something. I could almost see the remote and Obi-Wan replies, that's good. You've taken your first step into a larger world. And part of what it means to be a Unitarian Universalist is to be part of something bigger than ourselves. Part of this larger, ongoing, progressive movement. In that spirit, I invite you to turn in your hymnals. Turn to hymn 1058, Be Ours a Religion. The lyrics of these hymn, this hymn, pay attention to them. They were written by our 19th century radical abolitionist forebear, Theodore Parker, about the sort of free religion that our Unitarian and Universalist ancestors were seeking to build, one based on reason, what you know to be true in your firsthand experience, and the urgency of joining together joining together to act as the guardians of peace and justice, whatever may come. Two more quick things. One, uh, if any of you do feel inspired to go back and revisit any of the Star Wars movies, how many of you know about Machete Order? All right, just I see a few hands. All right, so the, the recommended way to rewatch the films, if you do go back, is you start with episode four. That's the, the earliest one in 1970. You watch four, and then you watch five, The Empire Strikes Back, and then go back and watch two and three of the prequels, and then watch seven, eight, you know, on. And what did I skip? I skipped one. That's because it's terrible. Don't watch it. Just skip it. Skip it all together. 
Uh, it's better that way. Uh, I can say more about why, but that's enough. Uh, and then the final thing, I shared this with the, uh, medita- the three-hour meditation retreat, mini-retreat I uh, led yesterday, uh, was responding to kind of what Ben said about Yoda saying, do or do not, there is no try. There's actually some real wisdom with that, especially related to meditation, that often early, early in meditation, we can get in our own way a lot. So, you know, in thinking about breathing instead of, just breathing, as the, the Zen's uh, Buddhists would tell us. So uh, if any of you are experimenting with meditation, try that a little bit. I think you may find there's a real flip that's switched. I mean, literally you can see it on like fMRI scanners. If any of you are interested in reading a little more about this, there's a wonderful book out by Judson Brewer uh, through Yale University Press. Uh, it's a university press. It's a very accessible book. It's called The Craving Mind. It's a lot about addiction broadly understood and related to what we're learning about meditation uh, but it shows on scanners that people can watch these scanners, fMRIs of their brain waves while they're, and you can literally see people get it. They get how they were getting in their way and they're able to drop into just breathing instead of thinking about breathing. It's a thing. Do or do not. There is no try. Uh, and so as you go, whatever, whether Star Wars is your jam or something else, you know, just notice if what is, what the things you're drawing from, what are they cu- cultivating within yourselves? And I hope that you're spending time and drawing wisdom from things that are helping you continue your journey in love, to care for one another and to care for this one earth, to do justice and make peace. And as you go, whatever taste or touch you've had in this time and place of hope, of love, of peace or joy, that goes with you into the world. We're different for having spent this time together. May you live boldly with thanksgiving, and of course, may the force be with you.